Healthcare providers and public health agencies in rural communities serve different purposes, with healthcare providers focusing on the health of the individual and public health focusing on the health of the population. But they are also similar in that they're often under-resourced and they serve a poor aging population with an ultimate focus on health and well-being. So how do healthcare providers and public health work together to preserve the health of their communities? With strong relationships, strategic partnerships, and a shared purpose. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hotshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 34 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hotshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. So today we're talking about the difference between healthcare providers and public health agencies in rural communities, uh, two groups that have been challenged more than ever before in the wake of a global pandemic. Yes, and today we are finally sitting down with someone we've been excited to bring on the podcast from our very own team. Prior to joining Hillsdale Hospital, he served in a public health role right here in our community, so he has firsthand experience with both sides of the same coin. Our guest today is John Robertson, Chief Quality Information and Technology Officer for Hillsdale Hospital. So welcome to Rural Health Rising, John Robertson. Thank you very much, JJ and Rachel. I'm glad to be here, I think, but we'll see how the hour goes. (laughs) It'll be great, John. It'll be great. (laughs) Yes. Uh, It's always fun to talk with you, John, because you just know so many things. And I could ask you questions for like 100 hours, but I promise we won't do this for 100 hours. So to get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work here at Hillsdale Hospital? I've been with the hospital about 10 years. Uh, Prior to that, I worked in public health for about 25 years, I believe. I was uh, originally with um, Calhoun County Health Department uh, back in the late 80s and 90s, and then I joined the Branch Hillsdale St. Joseph Health Department in about 2000 and left there to come here in about 2010. Um, Way back, uh, I had my college at Central Michigan University, uh, got a bachelor's degree in health ed, uh, got a master's from Western Michigan University in public administration with an emphasis in healthcare. So it was uh, right in my wheelhouse to, to come here. And it was actually in my wheelhouse, I think, to work in public health. Um, there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of differences, but there's enough between the two that uh, I, could, I could make the transition fairly easily. So, John, now that we've established who you are and what you do, uh, let's start with the why. And we do this on every episode so we can get to know our guests just a little bit better. So, John, what is your why? What motivates you? What gets you up out of bed in the morning? Uh, To me, especially here at the hospital, it's all about trying trying to make the hospital a place where every single patient, every single time gets the same high level of care. Um, you hear about so many times in, especially in rural health care, uh, well, it depends on who's on today or it depends on, you know, what doctor's working in right. surgery today. And I always shudder when I when I hear that mm-hmm. and when people comment that way. And I always say, no, it, it truly should be every patient every time. I mean, I know that's our mantra here, but I think it's more critical to focus on that right. in, in small rural hospitals because you don't want to have that variation in care. You don't want to have somebody say, well, I was in here last Tuesday and so-and-so you know, was my caregiver, and I just didn't think much of them. And that always bothers me. So um, I like to look at it as um, every patient, every time. And I think especially in in rural hospitals, I think um, 
we need to realize that we don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. um, we don't know everything here, and there are so many resources that are available everywhere. Um, not just the big hospitals. They get the same, a lot of the same resources that we get as far as expertise and availability of that expertise to us. So we need to take advantage of that. And I think I just from some of the conversations that I've had with other rural hospital folks, especially in the quality area, I don't think everybody takes advantage of that at least as much as they could. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a big part of it for me is, as well is to be a resource, learn from the experts, get that information, bring it to us because we can all use it. Absolutely. So, Rachel, you may not know this, but uh, John and I actually started around the same time. We were in 2010 mm -hmm. uh, together. Mm -hmm. We came into the organization. But John, yeah, I think I realized that. Yeah, he was he was hired as our director of quality at the time, and really, we didn't have a focused approach on quality. Some of our scores, most of our scores, uh, were very low. Uh, we were not represented well uh, when it came to some of those measurements, and so John really worked aggressively to turn that around. And in some of those measures, today we're leading the nation, which is incredible. Um, so John has done a tremendous amount of work. And when he truly says that uh, prior to his arrival, we actually had at times where our community would call the switchboard and they would say, who's the doctor in the emergency department tonight? Wow. And if it was a bad, their experience maybe was bad with this previous provider and they had not the best impression of this individual, they would not come in to get services. They would go to other facilities. And so what John has done over the years has worked very aggressively uh, on our quality metrics to make sure that we are driven by our quality to ensure that the patient experience is the best every time. So, you know, we talked a little bit about quality, you know, in, your, in some of your background just a minute ago, John, but, you know, obviously you cut your teeth in public health. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's really where uh, you worked with our previous CEO, Duke Anderson, uh, and served with him in uh, public health. And so uh, how, you just didn't happen to get there. How did you get there? And what kind of work were you doing on a day-to-day -day basis in public health? Um, well, it, it was two completely different realms for me. I, I started, like I said, at the Calhoun County Health Department and when I first got there, I was actually um, what they call an environmental health sanitarian. I inspected hmm. restaurants and pools oh, and nice. all that kind of – wrote permits and all kinds of stuff. It was mostly just regulatory kinds of stuff. Uh, but then I moved into administration with Calhoun County, and I did a lot of federal reporting, state reporting. Um, I worked quite a bit in their IT department because um, they didn't really have an IT department, so mm -hmm. I kind of started that. This was back early with computers. Now, there wasn't a computer at every desktop. Right. And everybody didn't it was have green an screen, right? Didn't have an iPhone. <laughs> uh, there were actually some green yes, screen computers uh, yeah. at at the, county, at the county. I believe we had them too at Hillsdale County. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you did. We so, remember those. Yeah, so I I did a lot of uh, administrative work with Calhoun County, and then um, I actually left Calhoun County to go to Branch Hill South St. Joseph because they had a position that I thought was more in I guess my wheelhouse, if you will. It was a director of health promotion. Mm -hmm. um, it was all about health education, um, community programming, emergency preparedness. I mm -hmm. did a lot of those things. Um, I also worked a little bit with their IT department, but not near as much there. Um, so I, that was a lot more what I like to do, um, which is where I met Duke Anderson, who was the previous CEO yes. and recruited me to come here. And I worked with him for about two or three years, and he thought, well, you know, those are similar qualities, similar areas of focus, and I think that's why he asked me to come here. Absolutely. And I think it's been a great, wonderful uh, opportunity to have John here at our hospital, uh, really working with us on our quality measures. And so, uh, John, again, welcome to the program. 
So, John, if you take your public health experience and the work you did there and then contrast that with your work here at the hospital, what are some of the major differences that you notice between public health and health care in a rural environment like ours? How are the projects and priorities developed in one setting versus the other? Because the the purpose is similar, but the focus is slightly different, right? Uh, I would say yes. Um I, I can say local public health, in, in my mind, is mostly population health driven. It's the big picture. It's this demographic or that set of folks and what's special about them and what do we need to focus on for that particular group. So it's more population health based. Um, priorities are driven by state priorities. A lot of that comes down directly from the state mm-hmm. health department in Michigan. Some of it comes federally, but um, the state health departments in public health kind of are the, you know, they're the leaders of their domain. So mm-hmm. uh, they set the priorities for their state. They're supposed to know what's going on in their state. And so those things are, are a lot state driven. Um, Branch Hillsdale St. Joseph was a little bit of a different animal because it's a tri-county health department. So right. you have three competing yeah. county mindsets as, as what's important here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I always kind of shuddered um, a little bit in that it, it wasn't like at Calhoun County we're Calhoun County. This is what we do. This is what we focus on. It was kind of like, well, we're Hillsdale, we're Branch, we're St. Joseph. You know, mm-hmm. we think you should be doing. And so there was a lot of pushing and shoving and controlling to talk about what the priorities for the department were going to be. So that was always a little bit of a, a problem, I thought, and, and an administrative problem probably for right. public health in, in the Tri-County Health Department. So, um, but again, their priorities are kind of driven by the communities that they serve, but also the state who says these are the things that you need to be doing. And in public health, um, the last probably 10, 15, almost 20 years now, funding has been on a decline. Mm -hmm. So the priorities that you set are based on where your monies are coming from. And more and more public health money is coming from the state. Mm -hmm. So what the state wants to do is kind of what you want to do. Um, In the hospital setting, it's driven by Who's coming in your door? Mm -hmm. Um, And that has its own problems and challenges as well because um, if you look at local community hospitals, the people coming in the door here are the folks who are on Medicare and Medicaid. Mm -hmm. So these are the people who have the least ability to pay. So we really need to be you know, mindful of that priority when we start talking about who we're serving and what we're doing. So, but we have a lot of um, external pressures as well. I think at the hospital level, when we talk about who's telling us what to do, because Mm -hmm. we have CMS Mm -hmm. telling us what to do. We have the CDC right now during this pandemic uh, telling us just about everything that we (laughs) need to do. And then there's some state agencies who want to chime in and occasionally the governor wants to chime in. Um, So there's a lot of uh, conflicting and competing Mm -hmm you know, experts out there mm-hmm. telling us what mm-hmm. we should be doing. Mm-hmm. But I think when it gets down to it in a, in a local rural hospital, it's your community. It's your townships. It's your local folks. It's those, you know, elderly patients who come into your ER who need A, B, and C. It's those folks who come to your lab or to your x-ray department and say, I need to have this and I really need to have this. Um, and all of our external offices as well. So we've got all of those things going on together. But it, it truly is about what's happening at the local level mm-hmm. in this kind of a hospital. Would you say it's more responsive in 
not that that health departments can't be responsive, but like you said, health departments, local public health are very much directed by the state, whereas we can add new services or change services and try and if they maybe they're not profitable but we figure out a way to make that work we can do that in direct response to the needs we're seeing in the community are we are, are we doing that quicker than public health could be doing that because of those directives coming down from a higher level or does public health have the ability to be just as agile I think we're probably doing it quicker, and I think what's more important is we're probably doing it more often. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if you talk to public health, they would say, gosh, we'd really like to be doing that, but we just can't afford it. That's Mm -hmm. not something we can do. Whereas, like you said, with the hospital, if there's a need out there, we can look at a lot of different ways to fill that need. We Mm -hmm. can look Mm -hmm. at partnerships. We can look at additional funding Mm -hmm. sources. Where can we go for this? Public health, again, is pretty much driven by what the state wants to do and Mm -hmm. in some circumstances what the local communities want to do. But, you know, in a small community hospital like this, we are extremely agile. I think when you listen to people in large hospital systems say, hey, we decided to do this last year. Last year. And we're still working (laughs) on it. Mm -hmm. Um, Two years later. You just want to pull your hair out and say, but what about the patients? Right. And it's not that they don't care about their patients. They care about them just as much as we do. But it just takes them so long to change gears and move in a different direction. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the great things about small hospitals. We can move on a dime. We can can identify a need and we can be doing it in 30 days, 60 days. Whereas the bigger hospitals yeah. can't do it. And yeah. public health doesn't really have the means to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, John, I think uh, one of the things that we've talked about here is, you know, when when we look at some of the challenges of COVID-19, which we'll address in just a minute, uh, what we realize, and to your, to your point earlier, is public health funding started to decrease, I would say, about a decade ago. You saw less and less money coming to public health. And all of a sudden, we had to cut programs. Yep. Uh, throughout these, tri- at least in our tri-county area, and, and I heard that throughout the state, cutting programs, cutting programs, cutting programs to, to almost the bone. I mean, you've cut the flesh, you're down the bone. And a lot of our health departments throughout the state of Michigan were really operating on shoestring budgets uh, governed by specifically county board of commissioners, if you think about it, right? Because these to boards some degree, sure. have, you know, at least Hillsdale's branch in, in St. Joe was county commissioners represented on the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you had some political dynamics. Mm-hmm. But one of the the striking things that I think was so important was the focus at the state level to give additional funding for public health during the pandemic. And we've witnessed a little bit of that money go for programming. And do you ever think we're going to get back, and this is a loaded question, to where we were a decade ago, where you're going to see the health department more, you know, f- robust programs, you know, staffing levels a little bit higher? Or do you think this is just a point in time for us? I think it ebbs and flows. Um, I, I think this is the time for public health to kind of step up and make themselves known as a resource and somebody who can get the job done. I think that will dictate to some degree, whether or not we see that or not. The problem is, is you've got, you know, what, 82, 83 counties in the state of Michigan. Most counties have their own health department. Obviously, we're a little different. So you've got 80 possibilities for success or failure. It's true. And so I don't think just because Branch Hills, Del St. Joe Health Department is successful in addressing the Mm. pandemic that we're going to see more money coming to them. Right. Um, it's going to be statewide. It's going to be 
does the state see the local public health infrastructure as vital mm-hmm. for addressing things such as a pandemic, pandemic. or any other public yeah. health emergency? And are they willing to put their money where their mouth is? For the last 15 or so years, they have not been. They have not. And we've watched that. Yeah. So hopefully we'll see some changes. Uh, we already started to see some of those. But, you know, obviously with challenges in, in public health, you know, funding, but also there's been some limitations. And so, you know, if you could identify for our listener, what are what were the limitations and barriers that you faced when working in public health? And were these any different than what you face here? I think they're a lot the same. Um, especially in the last probably 10 to 15 years in public health, it was all about the money and the money in public health is almost exclusively for staffing. You got to pay for people right. to be there to do things. Right. So as the money started to dry up, the people started to go. And, you know, so we had real staffing challenges. I think you see those staffing challenges as well in hospitals, mm-hmm. especially small hospitals where people wear multiple hats. Um, you got some issues there. So staffing was always a big deal. Finance, obviously, Huge. directly mm-hmm. attributed to that. So Huge. those two go hand in hand, and I think that was a big barrier for public health, still is. Um, and I think it's also a barrier for hospitals, especially small hospitals. You know, so with that, so you got finance, uh, which is understandably uh, probably the the top issue, because if you don't have you know the funding to be able to run the programs, uh, you're not going to be effective. But Let's talk about the communities because it's a huge project. We witness that, trying to educate our communities. They're very unique. Even among the three counties that the health department represents in our communities, they're all unique. Mm-hmm. And so that had to be a challenge for you to know, you know, you were you were working and I know Duke was working in healthcare, uh, public health at the time when he was going around speaking about the AIDS uh, you know, epidemic and talking about, you know, the challenges that 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 brought and the education awareness. Some communities kicked him out, he said. Some communities didn't welcome him to board meetings. Um, but you, people are people. Yep. And so there's some similarities there. Right. But the, I would I would I would say that that was a challenge uh, trying to connect with different groups. And you find that to be consistent with what we face here today and trying to reach our ER population or a specific population. Yeah. In in public health, you had other community groups that you partnered a lot with. There are these uh, county collaboratives, and those are extremely helpful um, Mm -hmm. for public health. It's a way to kind of reach out and go beyond your bounds. Um, And I I think the hospital um, is also well served to to participate with that group, and and we do here, especially in Hillsdale County. Um, so that's extremely helpful, and it helps broaden, kind of broaden your horizons and, and bring more resources to the table. Because, again, small public health or small hospital, you can't do it by yourself. Right. You've right. got to have some people out there who are, are bought into what you're trying to do and are willing to help and step up to the plate. Absolutely. So with that said, that leads perfectly into my next question, because you've been kind of in both seats, right? Once in public health, now in healthcare. So how have you seen those two entities in particular working together? And how has that played out specifically during the pandemic? I would say not as well as probably both sides of the aisle would have hoped. Mm -hmm. Um, I think public health probably had you know, their own vision of how things were going to go during the pandemic. And I think the hospital um, did. I know we were, I was intimately involved Mm -hmm. in a lot of our early planning stages for this uh, when we really didn't know where it was going. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I think in the best world, we would have been on conference calls 
three times a week, we would have been having meetings. We would have done a lot of things together um, because we're, we were the, the patient arm of the population health focus right. that is this pandemic. Mm-hmm. So it would have been great if the hospital and public health could have worked, in essence, hand in sure. hand from the beginning. We did not. Um, and I, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. No. And there's probably a ro- lot of reasons that we didn't. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest one is there are very few things anymore with the scaling back of public health that the hospital and public health do together. We don't travel in the same circles, if you will. Right. So we don't see each other that much. We don't have an opportunity. You don't sometimes even know the faces of mm-hmm. those folks. Um, it was critical, I thought, Mr. Anderson, back at the very beginning, invited the health department here, and we had a meeting mm-hmm. um, where all of their key people came and all of our folks were in the room so we could get to know each other, literally mm-hmm. by face, because I don't think a lot of people in the room knew each other at all. Sure. Right. So that was critical. Um, I think that helped. And then I think there was a lot of reaching across the aisle back and forth between them and us as this pandemic went on, as far as the clinics went, as far as mm-hmm. educating the community. We tried to do things kind of consistently so that we were sending consistent messaging to the public, which is critical. Um, so I think we've gotten better, but I think we kind of had some hiccups in the beginning and, and we could have done better. Because mm-hmm. we really weren't set up, like you said, that there hadn't been a lot of working together on things no. prior to this. So we weren't, th- those relationships weren't already there. We weren't set up to join hands mm-hmm. and go after you know, something like a, a pandemic. So we kind of right. had to learn through the process, which in the middle of a pandemic is not when you want to have to learn on the job. not the time to say, hi, my name is you John and who are you? Right, exactly, exactly. But maybe that'll be one of the lessons that, that everybody yes. takes from this. Definitely um, lessons learned. So having worked here in a rural hospital and then also working at two rural public health agencies, what would you say for um, hospitals or healthcare providers in rural communities that maybe aren't currently engaged with local public health? What are some of the ways or things that they can do to reach out and get connected and maybe start building those relationships? Well, there are some there's some things that we share in common. I think um, some of the immunization initiatives that the mm-hmm. hospitals participated in go hand in hand with what's happening in public health. And I'm not just talking about the pandemic, you know, vaccine. I'm flu vaccines mm-hmm. once a year, every year. Sure. You know, we can participate together. We can do some things. We can have mutual clinics. We can do lots of things there. Um, There's a lot that goes on in the emergency preparedness world that we could Mm. certainly do things together with. The hospital is tasked through um, accreditation to be intimately involved in um, emergency preparedness at the hospital level and the community level. So there's a lot of things that we could do because the health department has that same task put in front of them. Um, so there are certainly a lot of things that we could do jointly there, um, so drills, tabletop exercises, things of the like. And then um, the biggest thing I can think of, just because it's coming up, it's mm-hmm. relatively uh, topical for me right now, is the community health needs assessment. Um, hospitals are charged with every three years doing a community health needs assessment of the community that they serve. Since we're a single county hospital, Hillsdale County is the community that we serve. So... Um, we're in the early stages of our 2022 community health needs assessment, but we're also charged with including, and they give you a laundry list of the people who are supposed to be involved in this. Mm-hmm. And first on the list is local public health. 
So, and we did reach out to local public health for the last two. Those I was here for both of those. So, um, we involved local public health, but I think we could partner even more with them mm-hmm. um, as far as uh, the community health needs assessment, where we go, what information we gather, how it gets presented and rolled out to the community. A lot of that stuff could be a joint effort between the two of us because public health does have that, you know, population health phase that everybody associates with them. Hospitals, not so much, not as much. Uh, so that certainly might be an opportunity uh, for a joint venture there. But it, it's certainly something I think we could take full advantage of. And looking back on what we were lacking during the pandemic, it's a perfect opportunity maybe to make some inroads there. So we're joined today by John Robertson, Chief Quality Information and Technology Officer for Hillsdale Hospital. And we're excited to have John with us for a very short period of time today to share his insights into rural health and into public health. And John, a man of passion and integrity, has brought Hillsdale Hospital to where it is today in high quality and expectations of delivering the best care for our patients and this community. So thanks again for joining us today, John. We appreciate you on the program. Certainly. And now for our favorite part of the show, the voice of the patient. Roxanne had lost a pregnancy between her eldest son and daughter, and she'll never forget the details of that time in her life. She first recalled spending most of the night in the ER, and when she left at 7.30 a.m., the baby still had a heartbeat. She had an appointment with Dr. Bediaco that morning. Upon doing the ultrasound, the heartbeat was gone. He put his hand on her foot and graciously explained what was going on. Dr. Bedianco's wife was in the room, holding her hand, wiping the tears that were falling from her cheeks. He asked if it was okay that they pray together, which was a moving moment for Roxanne. Afterwards, they told her that they would be right outside and to go ahead and get dressed. As she exited the room, Roxanne had her keys in her hand and asked if she needed to call to make a follow-up appointment. She remembered Dr. Bediaco looking at her with a wide-eyed expression saying, You cannot drive. You are getting in my vehicle and we are headed to the hospital. I had never heard or seen Dr. B with such a serious demeanor. There was no way I was going to argue with him, she said. So... Roxanne joined Mrs. Bediaco in the back seat of their vehicle, where she monitored her pulse for the entire car ride. Roxanne remembers a nurse wheeling her in as Dr. Bediaco jogged down the huge hall ahead of them. She said the sound of his big voice giving instructions echoed through the quietness. Almost two decades have passed since that day. Actually, Roxanne's eldest children are now well into adulthood. But even so, Dr. Bediaco's compassion stands apart in her memory. What a great story to be able to share and to remind us that everything we do is for our patients. And, you know, having sometimes that extra personal touch and really showing the patients how much you are personally invested in their care really goes a long way. And it's something people never forget. You know, Rachel, there's a lot of things about John Robertson that you may not know. That I imagine that's true. I'm God, sure it is so. true. And, uh, <laughs> probably for all the right reasons. But did you know that John Robertson was an accomplished singer? No, but I have heard his singing voice before for some of the Christmas kind of stuff oh, we've done right. around that's here right. at the hospital. That's right. But I don't know the extent of that. I've just, I think, heard you sing Oh Holy John Night. has actually, he has been invited to sing at major sporting events 
the national anthem. John, what's wow. the what is the biggest venue that you've had the chance to sing at? Uh, probably a minor league baseball park in Battle Creek had about 2,500 people there. Isn't that wow. amazing? It's unlike the 12 people at the church that stand to give me a standing ovation and then they <laughs> never sit back down. They just leave. I do that too. <laughs> I do, exactly. You've, yeah, heard, me. You've yeah. heard me. Well, John, before we close, we do like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. So we want to know what is your most unique rule experience or one of your favorite memories about rule life? Boy, I would say that I go right back to when I moved out of Battle Creek, and I lived in Battle Creek for a couple of years when I first started with Calhoun County. Uh, we were always looking for a place out in the country. Oh, got to live in the country. <laughs> so we moved to the country, and literally. Um, I'd, I'd never really lived in the country before. When I was growing up, I lived in a, you know, a neighborhood, if you will, in, sure. a, in another town. And so, I'm, you know, we're, we're there, and uh, we'd probably been there two months and we hear we hear the scratching at a, we had of a deck right off of our living room. We, we hear the scratching out on the deck, and we thought, "What the heck is that? Is there a limb rubbing up against the door or something?" So I go over to the door and I open the the big door and the screen door, and here's a raccoon, <laughs> and he's just eyeballing me, but he's literally <laughs> up on the screen door, kind trying of trying to get in, scratching oh at the door, gosh. and I'm like, "What in the heck?" Yeah. So I. Scared him away somehow. I don't remember how we did it now. But a couple days later, I hear this noise in the middle of the night. And I go down to the garage because it sounded like it was coming from down by the garage. And I look, and here's this raccoon. And he is scratching at the garage door. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And he came back just about every day. Oh, my and gosh. And for about a week. And I'm like... <laughs> Uh, the people who lived here before Fed him. were feeding this critter. Yep. And oh, my gosh. He knew he could yeah. come for dinner. I he hate to say it. I was, was brand new to the country. The, the critter had to have a little lead poisoning to go away permanently. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, boy. They're, they're <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you want to air that to your listeners or not because he truly did. Oh, I mean, no. I was concerned this little guy was going to, you know. Oh, yeah. Chew through. Well, they're not a little pets. Bit too far. Yeah. John, they're not pets. No. Not loud. But no. I, I truly believe the people that lived there before us were feeding And you do know guy. the difference between a raccoon and a cat, right? It wasn't like a cat, like, meow, trying to get up on the screen. There's a difference between oh, those? Oh, boy. <laughs> Rachel, it was a cat. That's how unique his rule life is. A striped cat? <laughs> Reasonably sure That's it wasn't a cat, That's JJ. a skunk. Oh. John, we're going to go through a picture book. All right. Okay. We <laughs> My farm life. My farm life. Well, once again, John, thank you so much for joining us today. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll be speaking with a rural hospital CEO who got her start in the nursing world and knows what it means to persevere in a challenging rural hospital environment. So be sure to tune in. As a reminder, we are collecting patient testimonials to be featured during our Voice of the Patient segment. If you have an experience to share about the positive impact you or your loved one has had as a patient at a rural hospital or healthcare provider, call our direct-to-voicemail line at 269-447-1265 or email marketing at hillsdalehospital.com and share your story with us. You just might be featured on a future episode. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen, too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. You can also find us now on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. 
Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, hosted by J.J. Hotshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, John Robertson, Chief Quality Information and Technology Officer for Hillsdale Hospital. For more interviews like this and more information or to share your patient or family testimonial with us, visit ruralhealthrising.com.